So bringing attention to the present, must be aware of the posture, the sitting, the four postures that we use, sitting, standing, walking, lying down, the movement of the body, the breath, sound of silence. I use these as a kind of, these are my reference points. So this is, these are happening right now. They're not, not something that, you know, I'm trying to do something now to get something, to attain something in the future, but just being the witness, the bhutto, the knowing of the body is like this. So when I reflect in this way, I'm just paying attention to the experience of sitting, the physical act of sitting. So that, that uh, centers me in the present. As I'm actually just bringing attention, awareness to the, something, the way it is as I experience this body sitting at this moment. And then the, the breathing, breathing is happening right now. the sound of silence now. So this is what we call Pachubana Tamma, Santitiko, Akaliko, Ehipasko, Upanayiko, Bajatang, Vaitidapo, Vinui, which we chant every morning. Santitiko, Dhamma, apparent here and now. So this is an abstraction, it's not a, a, a kind of conceptualized idea of Dhamma, some, something. Because when we use words, then we, we, uh, we, we cling to a concept, and, and uh, oftentimes can't see beyond the, the, what we're creating, we're thinking a word. We think we understand what it means, but actually, it's a it's an abstraction, an idea. <coughs> so apparent here now, attention, the way it is now, and it's not to define now as this like this or like that, good, bad, right, wrong, but it, it is the way it is. Uh, learning to trust this in yourself, just this reflectiveness. And, and also it brings up the, the, the desire to, to name it, to define it, to analyze it, to project onto it something, you know, a concept of some uh, that, that make, would make us feel we know what it is. But this isn't like knowing about. It's it's a direct knowing. 
which we're not used to, to uh, it's never emphasized, never regarded uh, very highly in our cultural conditioning. We might know a lot about all kinds of things. We might know a lot about Buddhism. And that's knowing about through, through concepts, through uh, doctrine, scripture, ideas of others. But apparent here now, the Tantitiko Dhamma, then it's just this, you know, not it needn't be defined, just awakened to recognize that this is the way it is. So in the, the, the body itself is the, you know, this is what we're experiencing. We're experiencing the, the, uh, the body as it's sitting is like this. Applying this to the other three, you know, this standing, walking, lying down. So this, this implies the bringing attention just to the, the movements of the body. And, and these four postures are kind of focal point for developing that awareness just around the, the, the movement that we, we do throughout the day and night. If we have ideas about good posture and how we should sit and that, then then we form views about, you know, uh, we can have strong views about developing full lotus posture and should be this way, should be like that. And these are, this is not what I'm asking you to do, is trying to to, uh, have some ideal posture that you're trying to attain, but just trust yourself in what you're doing right now, even if you're, you know, your posture is terrible, that's not the point. Bring attention to the reality of this experience. It's like this. If you're sitting on the floor in a chair, whatever, is not, you know, is no obstruction to the to awareness. Of course, encourage uh, good posture and and uh, sitting in in half lotus or like these are part of a tradition. <coughs> but in terms of reflection, this is uh, you know I'm not interested in that aspect right now. That's more on the conventional level of form. But in the reality of this moment, that that you're Bringing attention to this, it's like this. Sitting is like this. It's experience, isn't it? You're paying attention to that which is happening now. The breathing. Is like this. With the breath, you can be aware of, you know, f- the, the body's breathing. So you begin to notice, the, say, at the 
nostrils or tip of the nose or the abdomen or the chest. Just being aware of this body, the full breath body or the, the point of at the, uh, the nostril or the rise and fall of the abdomen. They're not quibbling about which point you, is most obvious for you. Which is to bring the, to to be in the present with that which is happening now, such as sitting, breathing. Sound of silence, the ringing, resonating, primal vibration. So this sense of listening, this attention, and so I've developed the, this aspect of listening. And this, this doesn't, this, this uh, using this concept of listening, this, this brings me into the state of just open attentiveness. I can hear the wind blowing outside. And then listening also works while listening inwardly, you know, to to your own thoughts or feelings in the present. So just when they direct attention just to the sound of the the wind or external sound, sound of silence, and awareness of internal chatter. Doubting or questioning or whatever that one might that might be going on right now. So then the attitude of relaxed attention. Attention is also a good uh, word for sati, paying attention. So, santitiko akaliko, timeless, akalika dhamma. This is getting beyond the, the uh, the habits of conceiving time. Ehipasika Dhamma is like um, Ehi is this kind of uh, 
come and see Dhamma, see it, notice it, wake up and pay attention. So this, this uh, when we reflect, santitiko, akaliko, ehipasiko, these are Pali words, but they're all about the present moment. Upanayaka Dhamma leading onwards or inwards or whatever, this sense of sustaining this attention, bringing the, you know, resting in this, this attentiveness, this mindfulness. Bhajatang Vaitidapo, we knew to be experienced individually by the wise. So this wisdom is, uh, this is a natural wisdom. This is not kind of personal attained wisdom. And then whether you think yourself as wise or not, and you, you know, if you see yourself as uh, wise or unwise or whatever, this is, this is a personality again. But wisdom is, is our nature, so it's not, not like a personal trait. So don't, you know, whatever your self-view might be, don't believe it. Trust in this awareness rather than in any view you have about how wise you are or are not. And when you listen inwardly to to the inner voices, this doesn't mean one's schizophrenic, but it's like the, what we hear from within, you know, the kind of urgings and obsessions that arise in consciousness, or the just the inner chatter, chit-chat, that goes on, the grumbling, complaining, um, opinionations, opinions, loves, hates, and all that. When, when listening to this rather than than uh, judging it, like we can, you know, many people say, I've just got a lot of rubbish in my mind, you know, just sit down and all this rubbish comes up. There's a lot of stupid stuff. But this is a judgment, isn't it? You're, you're judging it, you're putting value judgment on, on uh, the conditions of the present. I mean, that if, the, if the thinking is foolish or silly or whatever, these are value judgments, isn't it? If they foolish, silly, stupid, rubbish, this is we're creating this judging, we're judging it in some way. 
Now notice that this awareness isn't judgmental, it, whether it's intelligent or stupid or rubbish or of great value. Our relationship to it is receiving it, listening, being a receptive listener, and recognizing it is the way it is, whether, it, you know, the quality is not what we're interested in anymore. The quality of the, the thoughts that might you might be having is not the issue, but it's recognizing that like this, it is the way it is. So this way, you're you're embracing these 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 habits habit patterns, allowing them to <coughs> be what they are. You know that you uh, your your tendency to to make judgments and and try to get rid of foolish, silly thoughts or the struggle that we have as personalities with the way our minds operate. There's an endless kind of struggle, isn't it? On the level of me trying to have only useful, creative, intelligent, meaningful, wholesome thoughts is an ideal. That's what one would like, and then, and if one longs for for that kind of experience, and then when all the kind of silly, foolish, uh, nonsense, vain, selfish thoughts arise, and we 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 try to resist or get rid of that, or feel self-aversion. We, we don't like ourselves because of that. And that becomes very complicated, isn't it? That's a complication we create. So in Santiti Kodama, it's not complicated. Very simple. And so see, meditation is always moving towards simplicity rather than towards complication. Being a personality is a complication. My personality can be quite complicated, isn't it? We all have, we can all be complicated, sensitive people with all kinds of neuroses. <coughs> so what, what is a neuroses anyway? You know, when you say somebody's, I'm neurotic, or somebody is neurotic. And these are complicated mental states we create. You know, usually, you know, reactive behavior that, that, you know, we have these, these bodies with their energies, these are natural conditions, they're sensitive formations, though so we, you know, we have to live in this state of sensitivity. It has, it's an energetic form, it's a, a sexual form. It's uh, it's uh, has a form of, of survival, you know, just basic survival as a as a creature. These are kind of primal uh, energies that are just natural to this human form: the procreative one, survival one. Fear is a 
the, the kind of primal emotion that we share with uh, all creatures, animal realm. The animal realm is very much a fear-driven realm, survival of the fittest. And so these, these kind of primal energies are taken on as kind of personal uh, conditions that we judge, you know, so it's the sexual energies are seen as a kind of personal, we make it very personal and because we, you know, in the West, in the modern times, we we identify very strongly with with uh, sexuality as as our self, as part of our personality, our being, and uh, and it becomes very complicated, making this natural energy of the body into some kind of personal um, and j evaluating, judging it in some way. <coughs> they become neurotic. And then the same with uh, anger and uh, fear. Because the ideal is, you know, for a, for a, uh, we have an ideal of being a, the ideal monk or nun or human being is uh, to be fearless, you know, brave, strong, fearless, in control, not caught up in, the, in uh, blinded by lust and anger, the ideal that we create in the mind. Of an ideal is, is uh, you know, a creation. It's not a, a human being. An ideal is not human. Like the Buddha Rupa, isn't that it? It's an ideal. It looks as a human form, but <coughs> it's not sensitive. It doesn't, you know, it's made out of bronze. And it's beautiful, so we, 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 ideals are beautiful, not to dismiss that, but put them in their place. No, an ideal is an ideal rather than as so, uh, letting your idealism intimidate you endlessly and feeling, making yourself feel uh, not so good because you can't live up to such high-minded ideas. So in reflecting on the way it is, we're, we're just instructing ourselves, informing ourselves of what it is to be, have a human form, a sensitive form at this moment, in this place, There's nothing personal in it right now. It's not saying it's, it's mine or it's good or bad, but it is like this. So then we create our personalities and accordingly, you know, to complicate, complicate uh, life endlessly because of the experiences we have uh, from birth to the present moment. We have a memory. We're affected by things, by, we have traumas and shocks in life and <coughs> that, that we interpret and translate always in highly personal terms. 
because that's the way it seems. This is happening to me. This trauma is mine. These these feelings, you know, they're they're. Why am I? Why do I have so much fear or lust or anger? And I shouldn't, you know. There's something wrong with me, or or it's your fault. It's my mother's father, my society, because I didn't get everything that I should have gotten when I was young. And so we we kind of tend to go outward to blame conditions of the past. So we become increasingly more kind of complicated, complicated personalities. We're not just the simplicity of awareness anymore, but we create this complexity of, of identity with the five khandhas. So in awareness, then, we're, we're just noting the way it is the, the, that the body is an energetic form, feels, you know, there's consciousness, sensitivity. And what, it is, what is it that is aware of this? You know, the, is it me? Sumato being aware of Sumato, or is it this awareness? Isn't is it not? You know, Sumato is a is another creation. <coughs> Isn't that it's a word, poly word, and we, uh, you know, we we can think that and believe uh, I'm actually Ajahn Sumato, but but the awareness of that. It transcends. It is, it's, it's the, this, this awareness includes all of that. It's not judging or dismissing or denying or resisting, but it, it embraces, receives these conditions as they arise and cease in the present. Now, uh, when I when I encourage this trusting, <coughs> this awareness, uh, I mean, this is quite you know it's quite difficult to express because this is a kind of imminent act of attention and. And recognition that this is this uh, this this awareness is what I can really trust because it's it's uh, you know it's not personal it's not created it's it's uh, the the a- the aim of meditation is to recognize it realize it 
And then to develop that awareness, develop it as you, as you recognize. It's not that you, you're never aware and you suddenly discover it through meditation. It's just where you don't recognize. Uh, sangsara, the word sangsara is a Pali word for the world, which is the creator, the artifices of thought and proliferation, the, the, the view that we have, the world that we create. And so the worldly values, worldly life, worldly habits are what are our reality. You know, so we, we each live in, in our own world, really. Now we think we're living in the same world, but we're not. We create, you know, our own world that we live in. And the sense of me as a separate person and I think we're all living in the same, you know, I assume we're all living in the same world, but sometimes, you know, personally I'm quite surprised at the worlds that people live in. I, you know, it's very different than the one I'm living in. You know, their fears and their attitudes and opinions and views and obsessions. And how they see things is very different than the way I do on that condition level. <coughs> so are we all living in the same world or you know this this these separate worlds that we create we can we can find common ground but maybe that's just the you know being a, a separate entity isn't it? Each one of us is a separate physical entity. So the, and then the uh, kind of memories, conditioning of our lives varies in all kinds of ways, uh, you know, culturally and, and in every other way. So, you know, the world we create has its uh, unique uh, kind of personal quality to it. And yet we assume we're all in the same world. That's why it's, I mean, in a community, sometimes it's frustrating, you know, being a teacher and so forth. You think, why can't they see it like I do? Why don't they, you know, we're in the same place, the same world? But actually, you know, when you really investigate, that's not true. We just assume we're in the same world. So in, in the terms of the word world, or loka, <coughs> the Pali word is the loka, and then this world is the individual, and it's a creation. The perceptions that we create to experience life through on this personal level, cultural conditioning, generation is um, it's difficult for me to understand from my generation the younger generation baffles me generation gap they call it
No, but the world then is is seeing that taking for granted that we're on the same world, we recognize that the world that I create, you know, how bright and good and happy and sunny it is, or dismal and depressed. The point is to free ourselves from these limitations of the worlds we create. So, to to be return or remember, recognize this unifying position of awareness, then we're one. It's a universal oneness, unity, <coughs> is, the, is the reality of awareness. And that unity, that universe contains all the world, you know, so you know, it, it, we're we're just recognizing where we where the separation, the seeming and apparent separations and differences cease is in this is in awareness. Sati sampachanya. Right understanding. Samaditi. So then this samaditi, sati panya, is, 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 as I said before, is not a critical faculty. No, no matter, that's why the world you, you create, no matter how um, wonderful or horrible or right or wrong it is, these are criticisms, isn't it? these are judgments that we do with our intellect. When the thought process is dualistic, so it, you know, if you have right, you have wrong, good and bad, true and false, and things like this. The this is a. And when you when you're thinking, you notice that it's that it is a linear progression from one thought to the next. It's good to be good, bad to be bad kind of logical. We should be good, we shouldn't be bad, is the cultural, you know, moral conditioning. <coughs> what's right is good, what's wrong is bad, and on like that. So, so if we have, a, we're in a, what we call a bad mood, then we're bad. You know, the logic goes in from if the mood is bad, then I must be, because it's mine, then I'm, I'm bad accordingly. <coughs> and so this, this critical faculty is highly developed in, in modern life you know, through education. So we, we, you know, it's easy for us and very natural for us to criticize and to, to see, you know, to, to make judgments about others, about ourselves, about the world that we live in. And this is a function of the mind. This, this is a, you know, it's a thinking is, is, is a function not to be despised. It's a wonderful function we have. But 
how to use thinking rather than just be caught and enslaved to our thoughts and this artificial world that, that, that comes from that. So then the awakened attention Sati Sampachanya, intuitive awareness, attention, brings us into the present, into this state of oneness, natural state of being, gives us perspective on the conditions that we're experiencing. And we can see their arising, ceasing. So this is the Panya faculty, the discerning ability to to recognize the way it is, to recognize sati sampachanya is like this. It's not, it's not like it's a created state that you can objectify, you just recognize it. It's like the space in this temple, you know, you, it's not that it's ever absent because you don't notice it, it's just you, you may not ever notice because your attention is always drawn to the things the objects. So sati sampachanya is natural state, it's not, you know, it's always like the space is always, you know, it's not that you have to get it, uh, find it in some way, or do something in order to, to create yourself into somebody who's mindful, but just trust yourself to, to uh, recognize realize it's this way. Now in, uh, like with Buddha's teachings and the idea of practicing meditation, uh, developing all these words, you know, the sense of progress and doing something in order to get something. Uh, so this is, these are assumptions that, that we easily that we've got to, to get something from our practice. Now just notice this, this assumption, I'm somebody who ha who's, who's unenlightened and needs to practice in order to become enlightened. Hopefully, in the future. 
So this is a this is a, a creation, isn't it? This is a sense of me as be, I see myself as as uh, uh, the unenlightened personality with all kinds of hang-ups and emotional problems and memories of the past and guilt and remorse and hope and despair. And uh, I'm looking to monastic life as a kind of refuge where I can get my act together and become, hopefully, get out of these, uh, this neurotic mess into being a, an arahant, an enlightened one. <coughs> so, uh, you know, this is, when I started meditation, uh, you know, this, this is, I did feel I was a kind of emotional wreck. And, uh, that I certainly needed to do something uh, in order to, you know, get out of this mess, this complicated uh, trap, kind of sticky web that I that I I didn't really understand it. I was just kind of stuck into it. But there was a, a kind of awareness, a kind of a intuitive sense that wasn't all that conscious that that kind of guided me or inclined me toward uh, Buddhism, Buddhist practice. So then uh, the, this illusion of me being this sticky web of neurotic habits and fears and desires, you know, that one started out just trying to suppress them, get rid of them, control because this is all I knew how to do as a person. Personality was based on that kind of uh, activity, controlling and trying to, you know, resist and, and, and create. So when the, when the power of awareness, when I recognize what awareness really is, you know, I, could, I began to to see what I was doing, how, I, you know, even my meditation practice was operating on the, in the, from the realm of delusion. <coughs> now this is the kind of genius of the Buddha where he, you know, he, he uh, you know, you have to start with, with suffering, the first noble truth, because that's what we're most uh, easily recognizable and what we most kind of want to get away from, be free from suffering. But then by investigating this noble truth with awareness, satipanya, uh, we see through, you know, we begin to, to see how we create out of this ignorance, these uh, these different kinds of sufferings that that haunt us and follow us around like phantoms and ghosts. So this is and it's trusting this awareness. As I've said before, it, it's not special. It's not like a, you know a 
that you're you're recognizing something absolutely fantastic, but it's or ordinary, so it doesn't seem like anything in terms of your personal personality, which is based on extremities. The idea of you know, identifying yourself, even thinking, "Oh, I'm just an ordinary guy," is still a creation, isn't it? Or oh, I'm a special kind of person. Or I'm a nobody. I'm not worth anything. I'm a worthless person. These are these are all creations. These are extremities based on uh, views and opinions. Identity with your memories and thoughts and ideas. So awareness then is the way out of this trap. In order to get off this sticky web is to not to to uh, just struggle against it but to embrace it because that which is stuck is not self that which is is stuck i mean is rather a, a created self an illusion of being stuck when we're aware then we have perspective on the sticky web and on the this sense of being caught and trapped in these limitations. So it isn't a destruction of anything or a denial or resistance or creating something uh, finer, a golden thread web maybe, but, but a transcending of it because this awareness then is the reality of transcendence. When, and when I use the word transcendence, it doesn't mean, you know, a kind of aloof distance, but changing the perspective from identity to these limitations to awareness of these conditions as for what they are. <coughs> and so then this reflection on a Nietzsche. All conditions are impermanent. So trusting it, identi uh, recognizing it, it's just this. And now when I say this, I, I'm with the sound of silence. This is the kind of sign or that which, which I easily recognize. Now I've trained myself over m many years to really pay attention and rest in it. So the sound of silence to me is, is, is uh, just a natural, it's natural, it's not created, and it's all the time. My attention to it can, can vary, but you know, it's not a matter that it disappears because I'm not paying attention, it's just the, the, the uh, I'm paying attention to something else. 
But immediately, you know, I, I, um, the more you develop this way of practice, then it's, uh, it's very spontaneous. It's not, it's not something that difficult once you recognize and trust it. Now, it's not to create something around sound of silence as if it were, you know, some kind of attainment or, you know, because one can project onto this, or, you know, your own doubts or maybe some people feel aversion to it. Uh, they're, they're maybe your, your holy life is based on more on kind of ethereal ideals of, you know, loving, uh, a, a experience of blissful love as an ideal that you're aiming for. So the, the sound of silence can seem pretty barren, actually, when, when one is uh, aiming for eternal love and, uh, you know, the more kind of... Uh, inspired uh, ideas that that we can create <laughs> because it does it, it doesn't seem like very much so it's easily overlooked like space in the room it doesn't why bother with it you know just uh, this buzzing sound so what you know is that what I'm here for just to sit and listen to this buzz all the time the mind goes on and and you know, and, and then one f develops negative. You know, it's not anything worth bothering with. What a disappointment! What a chip! Been forty years as a monk, I end up with just a buzz in my ears. <laughs> now that is uh, that's creating a negative reaction to it, isn't it? Because in, in one way, it doesn't seem like very much or anything worthwhile. Because uh, a, a lot of meditation, we can be practicing meditation with the desire for becoming something, the more ethereal experience that we imagine, you know, something much more grand. And so the ordinariness of this is... Uh, it can be quite disappointing. But yet, in, when, in taking on the reflection on the Four Noble Truths, you know, it's, um, the Buddha taught me, pointed to, something that is not inspiring at all. You know, the First Noble Truth is not an inspiring truth. It doesn't lift you up into the heights of bliss. And then it's, uh, it's, you know, a lot of people think it's depressing. Think Buddhism is a kind of pessimistic religion. It's not even a religion, it's kind of a dismal humanist philosophy about everything suffering. <coughs> but uh, pointing to Dukkha as a noble truth then is 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 encouraging that because when we really look and admit and notice suffering in the present, you know, there's awareness 
It takes awareness to do that. This reflective capacity of just noticing what this sense of dis-ease or, or uh, anxiety or a kind of pushiness of, the, of desire in that we can be compulsive meditators, this sense of the way, the way we even meditate can be a kind of compulsion to get something, to do something. So you, you by recognizing or, or reflecting on dukkha, you know, you're, you're opening, there's an opening, because it, the awareness starts, you begin to recognize or realize awareness. You're actually using awareness. You may not realize it or recognize it yet, because the third noble truth is the realization of cessation, of conditions ceasing. Everything, all conditioned phenomena ceases and the cessation of conditions. The, the end of the world, the cessation of the world, or the world we create, the cessation of self, is peaceful, isn't it? It's, it's very peaceful just to be here and mindful be in the state of awareness, natural state. As you trust this more and more, then it, it sustains itself. It's not, you know, it, because it's not your creation, you don't have to kind of keep, keep boosting it up and making it go. It, it's a natural state. The sound of silence is natural vibration. So you, you're resting in it. It, it carries you like a stream. So you, you, you just have to float in the stream, restful. And as you recognize that, real, these words recognize or realize, then you're, you're, it increases your trust in it. Your ability to trust it, or the sada, in the Pali word sata, is translated as faith or trust. And this is trust not in, in somebody's ideas or, or views or that. It's, it's through your own uh, insight, you know, through seeing it for yourself, bhajjatang, you've seen it, you're knowing it for yourself. It's not just believing in, in what I'm saying or what the Buddha said or anything else. It's you, you prove it. You can test it out. So then, uh, You know, like in Pacific, like sitting in the, like this temple here, I, <coughs> it's my favorite place to meditate, actually, in the whole world. 
it's a, you know, it has a, I find uh, it's just a pleasure, you know, a peaceful, enjoyable experience to sit and, and listen to the sound of silence, be present. And and that gives that gives me increasingly more confidence in this. Then to integrate that and not live in the temple all the time and go out and do things and whatnot. But but this the important thing is to to begin to recognize this stillness, inner stillness, isn't it? When you recognize it, it's, it's, it has this unshakability. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't wobble. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't go up and down. It has this kind of continuous continuity of flow that is peaceful. It's peaceful, still. Pieces like this, isn't it? When people, the peaceniks, and the, my generation, when, when I was in university, they were called peaceniks. We were always saying, "We want peace." Then we go on protest marches in Berkeley, you know, against the Atomic Energy Commission, and was the, their office was in Berkeley, California, and it's walk by with signs saying, peace, peace. But when, in the, when I was a student, I wasn't at all peaceful myself. I was not anything. A peace was, was merely an idea or a concept that seemed nice, but I didn't have a clue what it meant, really. I mean, it was a nice idea. <clears throat> and I remember getting active in peace movements at that time, the early 60s, in, in Berkeley. And we'd all talk about peace and complain about the American government and the Cold War and all the rest. And uh, but I began to notice then how that, you know, even though I was, you know, great exponent of peace, I was not peaceful myself. Found it difficult to live with anybody, or you know, just uh, so much uh, unresolved feelings and fears and problems as a personality. <coughs> so then I and I noticed in the peace movement, even though they called peace movements, they were never very peaceful in the, within themselves. A lot of internal quarreling, fighting kinds of things going on that, that one couldn't con conceive in, in any way as being peaceful. And yet everybody loved this idea of peace. I've even been invited in, in April to go give a talk on peace in Oslo. <laughs> and interesting. Because yeah. Uh, peace and, and religions and so forth. So all religions, you know, they talk about peace. 
and uh, great idea. But what is it? What is the reality of peace, you know, here and now? And so, for me then, the peace is this, this, this awareness. Just resting, trust, relaxing into this stillness. And trusting. Then, the, then I, it's, it's peace like this is, is, is unshakable peace. It's not a peace that's going to be obliterated by an attack or a war or anything else. Recognize the true nature of being is peaceful. You know, this very nature is this. So you're, I'm not just shouting, let's have peace anymore, but, but being peaceful within myself. This peace is, is, is a natural state of being. It's not, it's not imposed on just by suppressing the conflicts of the mind. It's, it's finding, it's recognizing this natural state of being in which the conflicts of the mind resolve themselves. And not me to kind of to spend my life endlessly trying to clean up all the conditions of my karma, my habits, by you know trying to make them all right and beautiful and good, because that the, you know there's not enough time for that, and it's an impossible task. But to get to the very source is uh, is the aim of, of Buddhist practice, Buddhist meditation. But then, on a personal level, peace can be quite boring. You know, so, you do have, you know, if the, the human karma, one's karma, you know, gets bored with it, actually, you, a little bit of excitement, or so the restlessness and, and, and that, we still have to deal with our vipaka karma as it, as it, uh, as it tends to appear in consciousness. But the more we trust in this stillness, you know, recognize it, realize it, rest in it, trust it, then, then the, the problems around our, that arise, the karma that we have to experience, more and more we're aware of it and its subtleties and, and how we easily kind of get intimidated or taken over by quite subtle movements of of thought or feeling. And the more you, you trust this awareness, this inner stillness, then the more you you know you 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 find you you, you allow your karmic your vipaka karma that arises in the present, you're letting it go. You're letting it resolve itself. And and then this is like developing the path, the the fourth noble truth. This is the the way of say living within the human form, within with the vipaka karma that arises in the present for each one of us, whatever that might be. And then we, you know, the 
uh, allowing the the sangha vehicle monastic form is a is like a conventional vehicle. It's a to 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 uh, that we you know we use in order to to live our lives as human individuals in the in this society. Skillful means uh, good moral basis, and also its relationship to the world, to the society, is one of compassion, loving kindness, peacefulness. I encourage you today to, you know, this is a, this is a rare opportunity. These winter retreats, uh, here, because we have, you know, for the uh, sangha, we don't have anything else to do really. So, uh, this this kind of persistence and de- determination, because in the, in our lives, there's going to be all kinds of challenges and. And temptations arise. You know, just the way life is. Our vipaka kama ripens, and we're suddenly confronted with, with uh, all kinds of things that um, <coughs> easily intimidate us, or attract us, or uh, you compel us in, to to act in various ways. And that's why establishing this foundation this basis for reflection. It gives us uh, that kind of strength and confidence to deal with the crises and difficulties that of the society we're living in and our own personal uh, karmic uh, habits. No, it, it's, uh, if we don't, if we don't really develop this foundation of awareness, then uh, you know, the, even the monastic form can't hold you. Because you, you know, you go through periods of love-hate with monasticism. They so kind of, you get, you, you think, I want to be a monk or a nun, and, you know, and think inspired and thoughts and, and that, and have all kinds of views about it and how, you know, hopes for it. And then periods where you don't like it at all, can't stand it, and uh, doubt it. But but this basis of of uh, of awareness then reflects that. You know, you, you, the importance is is this awareness, establishing, recognizing this this point of awareness and developing, and then uh, how you know, we personally react to the limitation, the, the restriction of monastic life, traditional 
the, the tradition that we're using uh, and the uh, reactions that we personally have toward it and towards people in it and so forth. And these are seen in, in from this reference point. We, we more and more do not make problems and create uh, create ourselves into into uh, rebels or or critics or are we sycophants we're not you're just saying you know, you've got to believe that this is the only way and we're doing the right thing better than anyone else and become kind of a a, a cult of sycophants that's not it either but it is a you know it is a it is a conventional form. It has its, uh, you know, good points and not so good points. But we're not asking it to be perfect anymore. We're, it's merely an expedient means and a vehicle to use that helps, that is, can be quite, quite, uh, it's all, you know, its aim is always towards this point of awareness. The, the Vinaya, the, Dhamma teachings, they're all aimed at that, encouraging that kind of awareness. This awareness, this recognizing and cultivating the Eightfold Path. 